In a show of multicultural tolerance, President Barack Obama yesterday visited an American mosque for the first time in his presidency. He said he was there to celebrate the five pillars of Islam, which are faith, prayer, happy, sleepy, blitzen, and violent intolerance. And an inability to count, I think, was the other. Obama said he was absolutely disgusted with Republican presidential candidates who had put forth the completely irrational idea that there was some connection between Islam and terrorists blowing people up while shouting Allahu Akbar and holding a Koran. Obama said these were the same irrational Republicans who had said that if he withdrew our forces from Iraq, a fire of Islamist violence would spread throughout the Middle East that allowing unvetted Islamic immigrants to swarm across western borders would lead to street violence and attacks on women, and that pressing a reset button with Russia was likely to result in the annexation of the Crimea. Obama said, quote, These Republicans are standing on the wrong side of history. Here, on the right side of history, the rain is made of M&Ms, the trees are candy canes, and socialism works. Some conservative commentators complained that the Baltimore mosque where the president spoke was associated with a terrorist group who had called for the death of Western civilization. But Obama said that only proved that these Muslims were no different than any ordinary American college professor. After his speech, the president gathered with the Muslims for an old-fashioned American barbecue, followed by fireworks, which left 17 infidels dead. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, run for your lives. We're all going to be killed for that one. But um, Last show of the week. I weep. I weep for America. I weep for Clavenless America, the, cla- the vast Clavenless darkness that is now going about to descend on America. But the Super Bowl is coming, so that's exciting. So you can stay home and, and beat your wife. Does anybody remember that? This, this thing, in the, it was in the 80s, the feminists declared that every Super Bowl Sunday men beat their wives. It was a big story, and they st- set up all over the country. I swear this is true. They set up they set up uh, hotlines so that women who were being beaten during the Super Bowl could call in and all this stuff. All, all around, it was, it was a lead story on the news. I was a news writer then, so I was writing the story. It turned out to be completely bogus, a completely, you know, feminists like to do that. They have these scientific, they've, they've decided, I think it was Gloria, one of them said this, that they, they realized that Americans respected science. So they would declare, you know, scientists say, they would just make it up. So they made this thing up that, that scientists had discovered that men beat their wives on Super Bowl Sunday. So, but, and, and absolutely nothing happened. All those people at the hotlines just sat there all day and nobody called in and nobody, maybe they'd been beaten so severely that they couldn't call. But anyway, do we have a pick on the game? Carolina, it, I, I'm, I'm a rooting for Denver because I want to see, yeah, I want to see Matt Manning go out one more time. I, it'll be a, a great sports story if he does, but it's Carolina's tough to beat. <laughs> looking, looking pretty bad. <laughs> looking pretty bad. Well, we'll try. All right, so we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about uh, a genuine problem we're having with the culture, and we are going to celebrate the life of uh, a great American humorist who died just recently. But first, we've got to talk about this mosque visit. I mean, this is really something. Uh, Obama goes and visits the Islamic Society of Baltimore, and many conservatives and, and many conservative outlets said, hey, you know, you shouldn't go to this mosque because it's associated with terrorism. So Think Progress, this left-wing website, says, what a smear, what a nasty thing to smear. Now, I'm going to read you their story, this Think Progress's story, attacking the right for smearing this mosque. As President Barack Obama prepares to visit a U.S. mosque for the first time in his presidency on Wednesday, right-wing media outlets are scrambling to connect the Muslim house of worship to extremism. Even though Muslim organizations argue such accusations are wildly overblown and arguably Islamophobic. 
Former President George W. Bush also visited a mosque in the aftermath of the September 11 terrorist attacks, declaring that Islam is peace. Yet since last Friday, conservative outlets such as Fox News, The Daily Caller, Breitbart News, and The Washington Times have all rushed to deride Obama's visit, most accusing the Islamic Society of Baltimore of having historic, quote, scare quote, historic, scare quote, or scare quote, quote, deep ties to extremism or scare quote, radical Islam. The accusations, now this is my favorite part of the story, this is the part I'm trying to get to. The accusations are rooted in criticism surrounding the mosque's former imam, Mohammed Adam el-Sheikh, who served the community from 1983 to 1989 and from 1994 to 2003. So that's a lot of years, right, in 2003. Despite the fact that Sheikh has never been accused of propagating extremism, conservatives bemoaned his former membership with Sudan's chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh-huh. Even though he cut ties with the group in 1992, they also pointed to his former role as regional director for the Islamic American Relief Agency, a local subsidiary of an international body accused of some extremist ties, and noted that he took over as imam of a D.C. area mosque in 2003 where an al-Qaeda once preached fiery sermons, even though, <laughs> even though she, she never, this sounds terrible, this, even though she never delivered those sermons himself. The Daily Caller also harped on a 2003 quote. It said, showcase Sheik defending suicide bombings as a form of self-defense. And here's the quote. If certain Muslims are to be cornered where they cannot defend themselves except through these kinds of means, suicide bombing, and their local religious leaders issued fatwas to permit that, then it becomes acceptable <laughs> as an exceptional rule, but should not be taken as, as principle. What's, what is wrong with these right-wingers? What's, I don't understand. This is, this is think progress. This is think progress telling the story. Yet many right-wing outlets omitted the fact that the quote was a specific reference to the uptick in violence between Israelis and Palestinians, not Americans. So they're only killing Jews. So, you know, what, what's the problem? What's the problem? All right. So, so this is the evil conservatives were pointing out that maybe a guy who thinks suicide bombings are A-OK and went to this mosque, that maybe there's something wrong with the mosque. Who knows? So here's Obama. Here's the first part of one part of his speech to the uh, to the mosque. Islam has always been part of America. Starting in colonial times, many of the slaves brought here from Africa were Muslim. And even in their bondage, some kept their faith alive. A few even won their freedom and became known to many Americans. And when enshrining the freedom of religion in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, our founders meant what they said when they said it applied to all religions. You know, back then, Muslims were often called uh, Mohammedans. And Thomas Jefferson explained that the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, he wrote, was designed to protect all faiths. And I'm quoting Thomas Jefferson now, the Jew and the Gentile, the Christian and the Mohammedan. Thomas Jefferson did, in fact, say that, and he later points out, Obama, that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both owned a Koran. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, by the way, were, uh, you know, busy trying to stop the tide of piracy and enslavement that was going on that started the first Barbary War. You know, when you hear the Marine song from the shores to the shores of Tripoli, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, they were fighting on the shores of Tripoli because back in the 18th century, as the country had just begun, they were fighting Islamic pirates who were going after American shipping. 
In March 1786, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams went to London to negotiate with Tripoli's envoy, right? And when they inquired concerning the ground of the pretensions, why would you make war upon nations who had done them no injury? Why would the Muslims make war upon nations that had done them no injury? The Muslim ambassador replied, and this I think is quoting Adams, it was written in their Koran that all nations which had not acknowledged the prophet were sinners whom it was the right and duty of the faithful to plunder and enslave. So, you know, there, it, it's true there have been Muslims in the country since the beginning, but it's also true we've been at war with Muslims in the country. All right, so I want to take three separate looks. I want to take three looks at what the motive of this visit was. Because you can look at it from different ways, and we never know a man's motive. And I'm going to take, take three completely different looks at what he was thinking about. So the first motive is the guy is an evil... You know, Obama is an evil Muslim super spy who was planted here to bring the caliphate about and has now risen to power and is unleashing his evil plan on the world. And, you know, I still get people who are telling me this and, and still people roll their eyes when I tell them that I don't believe it. And they say, what they always say to me is, what would the difference be if he weren't a Muslim spy? And I always say, well, what would the difference be if he weren't working for the National Rifle Association? I mean, the guy has caused, you know, gun sales to go through the roof. So maybe he's a secret NRA spy and <laughs> work, work through that. So... The thing is, it's, it's, in some ways, it's worse. He, he's worse than a Muslim sleeper agent. What he is, is he's an American academic leftist. What he believes is the same as what most of the college professors in the arts and the cultural side of the colleges are teaching your kids in college, okay? He believes that American power, American imperialism, as they would call it, American bigotry is the problem in the world. These guys are, are reactive. This, this, these Muslim terrorists are reactive to our actions. They're not acting because they're independent adult people with a philosophy that causes them to attack. They're acting because it's our fault. And if only we would treat them more nicely, they would be immediately transformed. And that's one of the reasons he's there. He's there, you know, because he's showing that he's the good guy, so they're going to be nice. Remember Michael Moore, when they attacked New York at 9-11, Michael Moore said, the, the leftist filmmaker, he said, why did they attack New York? We're, we're the good people. <laughs> as, if, as if they cared what we thought. They care what they think, all right? So Obama, is not, he's not a, a Muslim. He's not a Muslim sleeper agent. He's none of those things. He's just an American academic leftist. And when you send your kids to college or if you're in college and you're listening to some guy who's t telling you that the world is all America's fault and, you know, I got a note on the comment section of our uh, podcast the other day, Ronald Reagan had nothing to do with winning the Cold War. It was it was Jimmy Carter, you know. Because, anyway, you know, they teach them these things, and they, they have no way to check them because they weren't there, and they the history gets rewritten. But that's all nonsense, you know. So that's that's who he is. I mean, that's that's the reason. So the sec my second motivation that he might have is a genuine desire to tamp down anti-Islamic violence and, and rhetoric. Stop laughing. It's, it's possible. I mean, he's just, he's just so worried about them. So play the second cut. This is the cut where he tears up a little bit. I don't, I don't think he quite tears up in this, but he eventually tears up, reciting all the children, the poor Islamic children, who are complaining to him and writing him letters. They talked about how their children were asking, are we going to be forced out of the country? Or are, are we going to be rounded up? Why do people treat us like that? Conversations that you shouldn't have to have with children. Not in this country. Not at this moment. And that's an anxiety echoed in letters I get from Muslim Americans around the country. 
I've had people write to me and say, I feel like I'm a second-class citizen. I've had mothers write and say, my heart cries every night thinking about how our daughter might be treated at school. Girl from Ohio, 13 years old, told me, I'm scared. Okay, so Obama is sincere. He gets these letters. They keep him up at night. You know, his eyes fill with tears as he thinks about the little girl with, in her, you know, burqa who's <laughs> scared of being mistreated at school. As She's afraid she'll be mistreated at school as badly as she's treated at home. That's not fair. That's <laughs> just a joke. Just a joke. You know, you know, I joke about Christians and Jews, too, so... If I, I now get killed for joking about Islam, that only confirms what all these people are saying about Islam. So that's that's just a joke. But all right, so let's take take him seriously. This is what he's worried about. Now, most hate crimes in America are racially based. Most of them, I think, are against black people, basically. You know, things that are categorized by the FBI as hate crimes. But if you take the hate crimes that are religiously based, almost 60% of them, 57% of them, are against Jews. Okay. Those are the people who get attacked. Those are the people whose synagogues get desecrated. Those are the people who get insulted. 16% of them are against Muslims. 16%. Now, listen to attorney, what Attorney General Loretta Lynch said. This is in December, so we're talking about you know a month and a half ago. All right, She's talking at a Muslim advocate's dinner, and she says, Since 9-11, we've had over 1,000 investigations into acts of anti-Muslim hatred, including rhetoric and bigoted actions, with over 45 prosecutions arising out of that, okay? I think, sadly, that number is going to continue, she says. Think about this for a minute, okay? This is in December of last year, right? So just six weeks ago. There are 320 million people in this country. 9-11 was 15 years ago. Over 15 years, out of 320 million people, they've had 1,000 investigations into acts of anti-Muslim hatred that included rhetoric. Okay, that included people saying, you know, screw you, you Muslim son of a gun, you know. I mean, that's, all right, so a thousand out of 320 million people in 15 years, they've had a thousand and 45 prosecutions, 45 <coughs> anti-Muslim attacks that were worth prosecuting, 45 in 15 years. This is a great country. If I'm a Muslim right now, I'm out there with my American flag. After that speech, I'm like, whoa, these people are the nicest people on earth. I mean, this is like... All around, all around, you know, there's all this violence, there's all this stuff going on. And, you know, the thing is, I don't think any of us, anybody, thinks that there are no nice Muslim people or even thinks that the majority of people aren't Muslim. That's, that's not the point. They're always asking the wrong questions. What we see is we look at the countries that are run by Muslims. We look at the country that are majority Muslims, and they're slave states, almost every one of them. The dis, you know, they talk about income equality in America. I mean... I've been to these countries, some of them, and the income equality there is the difference between a guy who can take out his wallet and buy your soul with his spare change because he's so wealthy and a guy who's living in a barn with his sheep, you know? I mean, that's income equality in the Muslim world. The Muslim world, is a lot of it is living in the 12th century. And so we ask a question, is that because they're Muslim? We ask that question. I mean, that's, that's just something we want to know. We ask the question when we look around the entire world and every terrorist is killing people because he reads it in the Koran, because that's what the Koran tells him to do. We ask the question, is this a problem? Is there, a, is there, look, a religion is not a race. A religion is a system of ideas. And if, if their ideas are bad and if their ideas are causing problems, we should be able to ask that question. And when we ask that question and we're told that we're racist and we're told that we're bigoted, it simply 
leaves the question unanswered. It leaves people to find the answers for themselves. So if this is a genuine desire to tamp down anti-Muslim rhetoric and anti-Muslim attacks, it just seems misguided to me. It seems like he should have gone to a synagogue. And to be, you know, I want to be fair to Obama, <laughs> just for fun, just so one of us is fair to Obama. Somebody should be fair to Obama. You know, he does talk to them about the fact that they have to stand up against terrorism. He does talk to them about the fact that they have a responsibility. But why is he there in the first place? Why isn't he there in a synagogue? Why is this a problem? If they've had 45 prosecutions in 15 years out of 400, 320 million people, they've had 45. Why is this a problem? Why is this keeping him up at night? You know? So that brings me to the third possibility, and we'll call this the Shapiro option because Ben wrote a really good piece about it in the Daily Wire, saying that this is basically a political calculation. Okay, This is an attempt to cast Republicans as the bad guys, as these evil, sinister, anti-Muslim, hate, hateful guys. Uh, you know, Trump making his speech about how they shouldn't let Muslims into the country, they shouldn't let the immigrants into the country. So let's play this last clip of Obama making that point. Recently we've heard inexcusable political rhetoric against Muslim Americans that has no place in our country. No surprise, then, that threats and harassment of Muslim Americans have surged. Here at this mosque, twice last year, threats were made against your children. Around the country, women wearing the hijab, just like Saba, have been targeted. We've seen children bullied. We've seen mosques vandalized. Now, here's, here's what I want to say about this, all right? So he's trying to cast Republicans. We're the bad guys. We're anybody who's asking the questions that I talked about. Well, why, why is the Muslim world in disarray? Why is the Muslim world so violent? Why is the Muslim world so backward? Why is it every time somebody blows somebody up, he's a Muslim? Why, when we're asking those questions and we're cast as the bad guys and we're cast as bigoted and racist, when, when we look around, and see in front of our own eyes these things happening, and see it happening in our homeland, on our home territory. When we see that Obama's attempts to bring peace to the Middle East have ended with the Middle East completely going up in flames. I mean, his attempts to bring peace, what he calls peace to the Middle East, may have brought peace in the sense that our soldiers aren't there this minute, but it has sent the Middle East up in flames. Christians are being killed, slaughtered, uh, genocide. Christians are being wiped out in the Middle East. And he mentions that in his speech, but, you know, he's not at a, he's not at a Coptic church talking about it. He's, uh, you know, saying, and yes, and also there are Coptic, Coptic Christians being wiped out. When all that's happening and the president of the United States refuses to word, use the word Islam in connection with terror, and during the speech he mocks people who want him to do that, he thinks they think that'll solve the problem. When, when he says, oh, you know, when Muslims in Paris go in and kill a bunch of Jews, it's random folks killing random folks, you know, when he, when he says the future must not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam, while, you know, Christ is being slandered on TV, on mainstream television, mainstream comedy all the time, and fine, I'm fine with that. I have no problem. You know, slander away, pal, you know. <laughs> like you have, you have your faith, I'll have mine, and we'll see who gets to heaven first. That's fine with me. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not going to anybody's house and blowing them up because they, you know, they said something about my religion. Neither are the Jews. Nobody is. Nobody is except the Islamists. So when the president says this is all random, it's all, you know, you're all bigoted if you question this, it makes people nuts. It makes them, lies make people nuts. Living in a world of lies makes people nuts. And if anybody is inflaming anti-Islamic 
feeling it is President Barack Obama, you know, when and and people like Hillary Clinton, when they say there's absolutely no connection, we see it with our own eyes. And when you tell us it's our fault and this makes us a bad guy, that makes people nuts. That makes people crazy. At least acknowledge the truth. At least ask the questions. At least allow us to ask the questions and come up with answers. If you have answers that, you know, that show that it's not the Koran's fault that these people do what they do, that's fine with me. You know, go, go argue with Robert Spencer from the Horowitz uh, Foundation, who's an expert on this and claims that all this violence is inherent in the Koran. I want to hear that argument. I want to hear that debate. So I, I just feel that this entire thing was, a, first, I feel that uh, ben is right. It was a political calculation. But also, I just feel that it is a show. To, it's putting on a show that takes me back to my first point about him, that is making this point about leftism, that le of the, making the point of leftism, that somehow this is our fault. This is our fault. You know, really, it, the, Islam, if Islam wants Islam to be cast in a good light, then they should stop, stop having Islam people blow things up. That would help. It's not, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that they do that, and it's not our fault that it makes them look bad. It does make them look bad. If, they have, if that's a problem that they can solve, they ought to start solving it. Now, having said all this, all right, I want to move on to something else. I, somehow I missed this. This was on Saturday Night Live the other day. This is Tina Fey going back to the well of her Sarah Palin imitation, all right? And... Having now criticized Obama and the left, here, here's something I just want to point out about us on the right. Here's, here's Tina Fey doing her Sarah Palin endorsing Donald Trump. I'm here because we Americans are struggling. So many of us have lost our jobs at the factory or our reality shows about Alaska. And we've seen our own children targeted by the police for no reason other than they committed some crimes. <laughs> we turn on the news every morning and are shocked to see we're not even on it because we've been replaced by immigrants like Geraldo Rivera. She's fun. She just says whatever she wants. It's like her mouth starts driving before her brain gets in the car. I'm here for all you teachers and teamsters, you farmers and charmers. Whether you're a mom or two broke girls or three men and a baby or a rock and roller, holy roller, pushing stroller, pro bowler with an abscess molar. <laughs> She's a firecracker. She's a real pistol. She's crazy, isn't she? <laughs> All right. Look, that's funny stuff, and it's a, an almost perfect imitation. T Tina Fey is one of the funniest people in America. I mean, she is a really, really talented woman, a very talented writer. When she first did this, okay, it was fair game. I mean, she made fun of a political figure, and, you know, it was fair game. But it was a little unfair when she did that, I can see Russia from my house. I think the majority of Americans who pay any attention to politics still think that Sarah Palin said, I can see Russia from my house when it was actually Tina Fey. What bothers me about this is that it's not just funny. It's not just incredibly well done. That's a hell of an imitation of Sarah Palin. It's also basically true. It's basically true. Now, you can say to me, well, yeah, but there, where are the right-wing comedians? And I say the same thing. Where are the right-wing comedians? They can't get on TV. They're kept off TV. But my problem is not with left-wing comedians being left-wing. Tina Fey hates us. Tina Fey hates us. And that's her right. As an American, it's her right to hate us. It's her right to make jokes about us. My problem is not with that. My problem is that there's no right-wing Tina Fey making jokes about them. And they think it's because there is no one that talented on the right. But it's because they don't let them in. They do not let them in. 
and we don't take control of, of TV stations and create our own venues where those people can, can work and put their stuff forward. However, what really bothers me about this, so that's the one thing that bothers me, is that we don't take care, enough care of the culture. But what really bothers me about this is that we've become what they're making fun of. Trump is what they make fun of. He is like that. And, and Sarah Palin was like that when she endorsed him. That thing with the word salad, it's hilarious because it's true. You know, it wasn't true before. Before she was treating us a bit unfairly. She was not giving Palin a full chance. But now it's fair. We have to take care that we don't become what they think we are. I mean, I think that that really does bother me. And it's why I go after Trump so much and the people who go after, you know, I don't think I don't think the people necessarily voting for Trump are bad people. But I think he's a bad guy. And I think we should take care that we don't become what the left says we are. All right. Now, I have to say, Bob Elliott died. He was 92, and probably most of you have never heard of Bob Elliott, but he was part of a radio, well, not, not radio, he was on TV, and I think they even had a show on Broadway at one point, a comedy team called Bob and Ray. And Bob and Ray were important to me because my father was part of a radio team in New York called Clavin and Finch, and they were the most one of the most popular radio shows in New York. And my father was the one of the progenitors of Morning Zoo Radio. When you think of guys like Howard Stern, I'm sure if you asked Howard Stern who his you know, forebearers were, he would mention my father. My father was zany and funny and crazy and did, did all this crazy stuff on the air and had characters running in and out. And, and the reason there is a Morning Zoo Radio is partly because of my old man. These guys, I think, my, I think my father, my father claimed that he had knocked Bob and Ray off the air several times in New York, and maybe that's true. It's a, it's a, family, a family legend, so I'll put it out there. But Bob and Ray had a, a bigger career, a wider career, uh, it, you know, because my father was only local in New York. But they went through the nation, and they were much subtler and much more intellectual, which my father would have said himself. And they had this deadpan sense of humor that they were they were the fathers or one of the fathers of the kind of irony that came around later. I mean, if I, I don't know how many people are old enough to remember when David Letterman was actually funny. But when David Letterman started, he was really funny and he was an original. And the reason he was an original is because his writer was Chris Elliott, who was this Elliot's son, okay? So Chris Elliott, there he is, and I'm sure you recognize him from movies he was in and all this stuff, but he was he created David Letterman. He is David Letterman as far as I'm concerned. And so Chris Elliott, you know, kind of put forward that irony into the world. But I want to show you just a clip, two clips, just to make the, the point about this. Here's Bob and Ray. Uh, Ray Goulding is the interviewer, and he's interviewing... Um, He's interviewing Bob, who is the president of the Slow Talkers of America. Okay, so this is the interview with the Slow Talkers of America. I haven't had an opportunity to meet and uh, talk with our next guest here. Uh, so would you tell us your name and where you're from, sir? Harlow P. Whitcomb. From Glens Falls. New York? Glens Falls, New York? <laughs> New York. I am uh, president and recording... Secretary, right? Recording secretary. Secretary of... The S T O A. What's that stand for? The slow 
talkers of America. America, right? America. 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 All right. In a couple of weeks, Walt Disney is opening. Uh, the D- Disney is opening a new big animated feature called Zootopia. And Zootopia is about this place where all the animals are, you know, people. And this bunny rabbit, Officer Hops, is out to solve a crime. She has forty-eight hours to solve a crime. She runs into the DMV, which is run by sloths, which is very funny in itself. And she's questioning a sloth. She wants to run a plate with this sloth. So here's that scene. Officer Judy Hops, CPD. How are you? I am doing fine. Well, what? Hang in there. Can I do? Well, I was hoping you could run a for you. Well, I was hoping you today. Well, I was hoping you could run a play for us. We are in a really big hurry. What's the plate? Two nine T number. (laughs) Two nine T H D zero three. Two. Nine T HD zero three. So, Bob uh, Bob Elliott died at ninety two. Part of the team of Bob and Ray, and you can see that they left their mark on American comedy in a big way. Not just through Chris Elliott, but themselves. All right, Valentine stuff. I like. I always like to end with music. We're gonna uh, play the music, Jay, and then come back afterwards. It's just just a minute. This is. Maybe my favorite love song, one of my favorite love songs, a song called My One and Only Love by Guy Wood and Robert Mellons from 1952. It has been recorded by almost everybody who can sing a song. Anybody who can carry a tune has made a record. Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and Doris Day. Uh, It was even in the movie Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, Sting did a version of it. And um, who else? Uh, Oh, just about everybody. Anybody who goes back to these to the American songbook does it. I picked John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman. John Coltrane, of course, one of the great jazz sax players who ever lived, and Johnny Hartman, one of the greatest jazz singers in American history. So listen to just a little bit of this beautiful love song, one of the sexiest uh, songs ever written. Listen to the lyrics, because they really are hot. The very thought of you makes my heart sing like an April breeze on the wings of spring and you appear in all your splendor my one and only love the shadows fall and spread their mystic charm in the hush of night While you're in my arms I feel your lips so warm and tender My one and only love I love that. The last, the last rhyme in there is I give myself in sweet surrender very doesn't get any better than that folks all right that's it have a great weekend have a great super bowl try and keep the the country going until i come back on monday i'm andrew clavin this is the andrew clavin show and we will see you then 